0: Welcome to the mini break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, October 5th. Yeah, it's just going to be one of those weeks in the pro tennis world where day after day, match after match, just continues to deliver the goods. And I know we've done a lot of hyping of this week's events on this week's episodes of the mini break podcast. Maybe I'm in a bit of a honeymoon phase. I am getting to call some of this action in my role as a broadcaster for Tennis Channel's T2 streaming service. It's been such a privilege to have that opportunity, a front row seat to all of the day's best action happening across the globe. Of course, maybe it's the fact that I'm thoroughly enjoying that it's always between seventy and eighty degrees here, always sunny in the afternoons in Los Angeles. I have the opportunity to record these podcasts courtside at the lovely Rothman household. And a massive thank you. They would want me to call them Rick and Cindy. I, of course, call them Mr. Rothman, Mrs. Labauer, who are so generous in hosting me here this weekend. of course, shout out to former GSP co-host, co-founder of Cracked Rackets, my dear friend and club tennis doubles partner, Maxwell LeBauer rothman of course, for his support of everything we're doing still here at CR. I admit I am in a bit of a honeymoon phase. That said, I can pick any of the results from today's action out of a hat, I could do an exciting five minutes on each of these matches. And, of course, we've got four tour-level events that I've been watching most closely. They will continue to be the subject of this week's shows. Of course, for the women, you've got, again, maybe pound for pound, the best draw we've seen so far in this 2022 season in Ostrova, a WTA 500 event. We've got a 250 event in Monastir. It's been just a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous scene each and every day for these matches and you know it doesn't maybe have the high level capital b breakout stars in the draw that Ostrava features this week but with players like Diane Perry, Claire Liu continuing to have success there are plenty of storylines for us to monitor there of course on the men's side again pick a name out of a hat in Tokyo, whether it's players like Denis Shapovalov, Miamir Kecmanovic, and Francis Tiafo, Nick Kyrgios in Astana. Obviously, you've got the big names, Novak Djokovic, Daniel Medvedev, Stefano Tsitsipas, each of them bringing the goods so far this week. And of course, here on today's show, what I want to do for all of you listeners is catch you up on the past 24 hours at the tour level in the professional tennis world. That means running through what were, in my opinion, the most notable matches on Wednesday, October 5th. Again, there were a lot of good ones. I'll try to touch on all of them for at least a minute here on today's show, but as always, uh, going to get back to our recapping roots here on this mini-break podcast. going to be just me on the show today, riding Han Solo. Of course, if you want to hear a more big-picture look at this week's events, listen to yesterday's edition of Tennis Point Tuesday here on the mini-break. My dear friend Nate Walrith joined me. We had a fantastic time breaking down all of the draws, offering our predictions for the week. Of course, speaking of predictions, if you're Looking for daily preview content, daily picks. Head on over to our Great Shot Podcast feed, our GSP Ace of the Day segments presented by DraftKings. Give me that exact opportunity to preview everything, to offer my thoughts, what I think you should be watching over the next 24 hours. Of course, recapping the past 24 hours, often the theme of this show, and that's what I want to do for all of you listeners today. Of course, before we get to that, a shout out as always to all of you who continue to tune in day in, day out. Appreciate any of you who do take the time to reach out to us on social media to leave a comment on apple spotify stitcher wherever it is you listen to your podcast we just love engaging with our cracked rackets audience because you guys truly are the best of course a shout out as well to our friends at tennis point who understand the necessity of providing a daily show to tennis fans everywhere they also provide the best equipment at the best prices go to tennis-point.com you'll find everything you're looking for. And when you inevitably make that purchase, you are use our promo code CR15. Excuse me, I get so excited about this promo code, I forget how to speak. Use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order, free two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, tennis-point symbol, not the spelling, tennis-point.com. The promo code is CR15. With that said, let's start with the aforementioned WTA action in Ostrava. We had a combination of first round matches as well as a handful of second round matches on the day as well. While only one match went three sets, our final match of the day, a victory for 2022 Wimbledon champ Elena Rabakina in three sets over... Again, not a capital B breakout player of 2022, but lowercase b and a player who has clearly made a leap as she's earned more victories at the tour level this season than any other year prior in her career and is currently floating right around her career high ranking inside the WTA top 40. Of course, that was a long way of introducing Alexandra Sasnovich. speaks to my respect for her game. And particularly, I had the chance to see her in person in Cleveland where she reached I believe the finals, and was knocked out by Sam Sunova. I had the opportunity, obviously, to watch her here today as well, and I want to get into that match later. But my most impressive performer of the day, and I think the most notable storyline to come out of Ostrava on Wednesday— is the return of form of 26-year-old and 2021, I want to say, French Open semifinalist? Maybe Wimbledon semifinalist? No, I think it was Wimbledon semifinalist Carolina Mukova. And you can leave that mistake in. It happens to the best of us, Super Producer Daniel Westhoff. But you look for the 26-year-old Carolina Mukova. She's just missed so much time over the past 18 months with various nicks, bruises, injuries, whether it's backs, hips, arms, legs, just a bunch of different things bothering Mukova over the past 18 months and really keep her, I shouldn't say 18, I should really say past nine months and keeping her out of play for the majority of this 2022 season. I mean, it's October 5th here today, and she still hasn't played 20 matches yet in this 2022 year. And yet you look for Karolina Mukova, who, by the way, semifinalist, Australian Open, not Wimbledon, not the French Open, though she's a two-time quarterfinalist at Wimbledon for what it's worth. Uh, you look for Carolina Mukova. This is a player who had cracked the top 20 and was at a career high of number 19 in the rankings last season and by the way that makes sense you know 25 26 years old ascending to her prime it did feel particularly early on the year having after making that 2021 australian open semi-final and you know following it up with a quarterfinal at wimbledon as well it felt like sakari kanteve Krachikova, Mukova would have been a part of that group, right? There's a cohort of 25, 26, 27-year-olds right now on the WTA Tour who all over the course, you know, Onjibur kind of melds into that group as well, given that she has peaked a bit later, I suppose, in her career than your typical... WTA career trajectory of a player who ultimately reaches two slam finals and becomes number two in the rankings. But that cohort, you know, at the start of last year and through probably two-thirds of last season, it felt like Mukva was going to be right alongside of Sakari, of Kanteve, of all of these players who have made their breakthroughs and established themselves within the top 10. Kasakina probably belongs in that conversation as well. Kudermatova to a lesser extent. The reason I bring up that context is because of injuries and because a plethora, there's your daily plethora drop here on this show, because a plethora of other talent has emerged over the course of the past 18 months. You forget how electric Mukova was when healthy in 2021. The fact that Mukova has a WTA title in her career, the fact that she's made a couple of second weeks at slams and again, has been a top 20 player already in her career. And, you know, it's been a... There have been there have been hiccups in her comeback here this season. You look for Mukova, perhaps most pressingly, a fantastic win over the aforementioned Maria Sakari at Roland Garros. She then wins the first set of her third round match against Amanda Nisimova only to reaggravate an injury, and you know she's forced, unfortunately, to retire from that match. That said, you look for Mukova now, back to back quarterfinals here to end the season. She made quarterfinals to Lynn last week before losing seven six in the third to a top thirty-five player in combat. Ky- Maya Canepi here. She kicks off her run in Osterbach. Excuse me. She's into the round of 16, not into the quarterfinals. That was me doing some projecting. She takes on Katie McNally tomorrow. She was one of the players who played a first round match and she was excellent earning a four and four victory over the, second of the player, excuse me, with the second or third most wins, depending on how you want to categorize it this season in Beatriz Haddad Maya. And what was so impressive about Mukova here today, twofold, A, she's down 4-1 in the second set. Could have easily just let that set get away from her, tried to ride the home crowd to a deciding set victory. She didn't. She continued to just lock in physically. And what you are reminded about Mukova is what a complete game she possesses. You know, not only does she have beyond adequate not only you know again not only she I don't want to say extraordinary because I use too much hyperbole here on this show she's not a top tier athlete but she will never struggle with her athleticism, with her movement when healthy on the court, she is extraordinarily fluid moving in and out of each corner of the court. She does an excellent job of generating depth on her backhand wing. While I think her forehands decide that will spray on her a bit more. It's also the more explosive wing and man, when she has her feet set behind that forehand, her ability to follow a a big forehand into the net, her ability to place that ball with such depth, such accuracy and still have sneaky amounts of pop as well. By the way, Random aside, great day for the Czechs in their home country and at this Ostrava event. I believe they go 3-0 and overall on the day in Ostrava, and we can get to that momentarily. But uh, Mukova might have been the most impressive of them all here today. She, again, uh, yes, broken twice to go down 4-1 in that second set, but you know, ultimately wins 69% of her first serves, 50% of her second serve points, was connecting so cleanly on her backhand return, and... Beatrice Haddad Maya, a lefty, you know, very and also 26 years old and probably belongs now in the lesser half of that Contave Sakari generation of names. You know, she's probably in that Kouda Matova tier with that group. But, you know, Maya has been a top 15 server here this season and, excuse me, uses her lefty slice out wide extraordinarily well on the ad side to just open up a runway of space for herself with her first strike, whether it be a down-the-line forehand, whether it be a cross-court backhand. And Mukova took that ball away by taking that return a little bit earlier inside the court and, you know, by changing up targets cross-court down the line. Mukova was hitting all of her spots throughout uh, the course of the day. I was immensely impressed with Carolina Mukova and just, again, the fact that she really did embrace what was a very spirited home crowd in Ostrava, And it seemed that that energy seemed to bring out her best tennis as well. There was just this permanent smile on her face and also just a focus in her eyes. And again, to see her return to form here, to see her play such Exceptional tennis uh, and beat. A, you know, Haddad Maya, who didn't serve particularly well here today, you look for Haddad Maya, only made 59% of her first serve. She's typically in the mid to high 60s. Uh, she didn't serve her best. But Mugovic capitalized on that fact, and any serve that's, that was attackable within the baseline, she went about attacking and did an excellent job just putting returns in play at a minimum, getting those points starting at neutral. And then again, physically, she was able to withstand the monster that is Beatriz Haddad Maya. And do I think any less of Beatriz Hadad Maya coming out of this match? Once again, the answer to that question is no. The glass half full take here is just, again, how excellent Carolina Mukova was here uh, in her victory straight sets over Beatrice Haddad Maya and to see the 26-year-old returning to form. She's someone who puts a bunch of returns in play. She is someone who, at her peak, you look for Carolina Mukova overall. Hold percentage-wise, I'm throwing out this season's numbers, but you know she was at 72% last year. She's actually at 73.5% this year. And this is someone who averages a hold percentage of 73.3%. The average of a top 50 WTA player is 70.9%. What does that mean? It means Mukova is also a top 15 in her best week's top 10 re- uh, server. And then, you know, again, that break percentage, I thought she did a really good job putting returns in play. I do think that forehand can at times be a vulnerability, but Hadad Maya didn't serve well enough to expose that. And I think you have to be an elite server, uh, if not an extraordinarily talented spot server, to expose that weakness of Mukova. So credit to the 26-year-old returning to form. I think she is a player. I mean, we've seen it quarterfinals, semifinals at majors, she can factor into the big events when she's healthy. She just has a little bit of, dare I say, you to her where she just kind of plays with an edge and kind of, you know, is an independent spirit is the wrong word. But when I say that, I mean, she just kind of does her thing out on court. She's like, okay, that's cool. I'm glad you can do that but look at what I can do. And the ability to play on your own terms is ultimately so important in those biggest stages of matches because you know passivity is the kiss of death in professional tennis. And if nothing else, Mukova was not passive today against Haddad Maya. So credit to her. And it sets up again that second round matchup with Katie McNally, who we talked about a bit on yesterday's show. You look at the rest of the results in Ostrava here on Wednesday. We'll talk about the aforementioned checks Barbara Krachikova is back. Two and two win over Shelby Rogers. Of course, Krachikova wins the title last week into Lynn. I mean, was exceptional in the final against Annette Conteve and, you know, had a couple of days off, obviously. Sunday final doesn't start her event here till Wednesday now. She'll have to play Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So she's got five straight days of tennis coming, but... She, you know, she looked well-rested, and obviously she's in her home country, about as comfortable as of an environment one would imagine she'll play in at any point during any season, and she just cruised today, just did such a good job of stretching Shelby with her first strike and won 80- you know, five percent of her service points for the match, fought off all four break points that she faced, was four for four on her own break point chances, capitalized on both first and second serve. She was just striking the ball so purely. And, you know, these Ostrova courts, one of my takeaways from the first few days, they sound like they're dead. You know, a player makes contact with the ball, the ball hits the court, and you're like, is that ball dead? Is the court dead? Did it hit a dead spot? Because the ball doesn't bounce. You know, it stays extraordinarily low. And for someone who hits a little bit flatter but can drive the crap out of the ball, is comfortable moving forward, is serve is maximized by the indoor court, uh, by the indoor conditions. I mean, Krachikova is so well positioned for a big run here in Tallinn. And you look for Krachikova back up to number 22 in the world after this past seven, eight days of action and has just put herself back in the conversation as well, moving forward, which again, we knew was going to happen. Given the reason she had fallen out of the conversation was due to injury. But great to see Krachikova playing better. And, you know, again, beats Benchich, Hadad, Maya, Kanteve into Lynn. Now a good win over Shelby Rogers to start things off. She's got Belinda Bencic tomorrow in the Ostrava round of 16. You know, Benchich, another player who likes to hit low and flat. So these are two players who should thrive on this surface. Feels like you're going to get a tiebreaker or two right in that match. And how do you profit off of that? You can go find out by listening to our GSP Ace of the Day segment. Yeah. Better tennis for Krzykova down the home stretch here of 2022. The other check to have success here on Wednesday, Petra Kvitova was a little bit shaky in particular in that first set, and it took her, I believe, eight total match points. But ultimately, Kvitova, 7-6, 6-4 victory now. Kvitova, 2 of 9 on break points. Bedosa, 1 of 10 on break points in this match. So the serving stats look a lot better than they actually were. In theory, Kvitova's game should work great on this surface because she does play big because her her slider out wide just stays so low on that ad side. It's so difficult to deal with. And, you know, again, and yet, Petra Kvitova was a bit, a little bit streaky today because it felt like no ball was sitting in her strike zone, um, and it just felt like the errors piled up for her. It was really difficult for Bedosa to find a lot of traction on her own, for playing her own first strike tennis. Except, except for when she landed the first serve, which you know she landed 63% of and won 63% of her first serve points. At the same time, it felt like every service game in this match went to 30 all. It felt like every big opportunity a missed return emerged or an unforced error on an attackable ball for both of these players. I think this may have been the, and I say lowest quality respectfully. I don't think this was a bad match. And there were certainly flashes, you know, when they had extended rallies, those extended rallies looked extraordinary because Bedosa was moving so well and Kvitova was just pounding the rock away. You know, again, all of that said, I don't think this was Kvitova's best performance, and yet she manages to advance in front of a home crowd. 7-6-6-4 into the quarterfinals is Petra Kvitova, and for what it's worth, you look for Petra Kvitova, who right now currently sitting at 20 in the rankings, entering the week. Kvitova 26-17 and 17 overall this season by reaching the quarterfinals here over Bedosa. She is into her fifth quarterfinal of the season Uh, she has played 18 now 19th total events five quarterfinals and 19 total events I mean Kvitova you'd say she's 32 years old that's old compared to the rest of the WTA top 30 true But I would continue to remind you, it felt like Kvitova was a favorite entering the French Open last year before she got injured. And we're just like not that far removed from her being in Grand Slam semifinals and competing for massive titles at the biggest stages. And so, uh, again, I think she's one to keep an eye on here as well. How does she finish down the home stretch? These are certainly, again, indoor hard courts. When she lands a first serve, it just feels like it should be so easy for her to play attacking tennis. And yet got a little bit sloppy today against Paula Bedosa. That said, Iga 7-5, 7-5, 2-all. She gets a withdrawal from Ila Tamjanovic, who I believe tweaked her back. I thought Diego was fine. You know, she raced out to a 3-love lead. Tamjanovic did a great job just making this match extraordinarily physical, offering nothing to f- for free to the world number one, and yet... If you can't hurt Iga relentlessly, she's just going to eventually find a way to either A, land enough first serves and enough first strikes to separate herself from a service perspective, or B, and perhaps more importantly, she's just going to break you. Like, you know it's going to happen. Um, even the worst versions of Iga still break opponents three, four times a match. She is that transcendent as a returner, puts that many backhand returns in play. And if you give her time on that forehand return, you're just in trouble because you have no idea where Iga Swiatek is going to end up going. So Iga advancing over Tom Janovic into another quarterfinal here this season. Let's see, for Iga Swiatek. I believe that is still, oh, now a tour tying best 11th quarterfinal. Of course, she's tied now with Own Jabur That said, if Jabeur makes the quarterfinals this week uh, in Monastir, Tunisia, then Jabur will move to 12th on that list. Uh, will move to 12 total quarterfinals this year and move back into first on the list. With that said, last but certainly not least, Robachna, six seven six four seven five. She advances over Sasnovich. Man, it was the weapons down the stretch. It just felt like set two onward, uh, from set two onward, whenever Rabakina needed a big first serve, she found it. And, you know, you look for Rabakina in this match, won 71% of her first serve points, 62% of her second serve points, fought off seven, uh, excuse me, five of the seven break points that she faced, converted four of the nine. She's just a member of Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club. When she plays big, goes big on the return, and is landing them, she's going to create separation for herself on the scoreboard because, obviously, her uh, plus one aggression can be that exceptional and um, certainly when she has a lead on the scoreboard then she can be that much more aggressive as a returner and I do still think foundationally she is very very good as a returner so it sets up a really exciting back half of the second round tomorrow you've got McNally Mukova, Martin, Martinsova Kasakina Alexandrova Krejcikova Bencic, Maria Sakri back in play taking on Alicia Parks Uh, I mean again Ostrava, your draw of the week on the WTA and ATP Tour. And again, it's a week where the standards are extraordinarily high. So very, very fun day of tennis there. With that said, let's move on to our other WTA event happening this week at WTA 250 in Monastir, Tunisia. Today was one of those days to nerd out in Monastir. You didn't have Onjabur in play. You didn't have Veronica Kudermatova in pursuit of a spot in the WTA year-end championships. You did have former world junior number one and now 20-year-old Diane Perry reaching her fourth quarterfinal at the tour level this season. Fourth quarterfinal since the start of June as well. And you look for Perry, a 6 3 walkover over Stefanini. I know I continue to speak about her here on this show. I would just like to reiterate the athleticism is off the chart. I mean, the quickness of her first step. She's not the biggest. She's just not the tallest person. And yet the power she's able to generate. She's just got all the quick twitch fiber. She actually reminds me of a female Alejandro Davidvich Fokina from an athleticism perspective. Her first serve from a technique perspective, I very much enjoy watching and just her ability to hit her spots on that first serve to set up her plus one forehand. She can find forehands from any position on the court. The backhand still, liability is too harsh of a term. The backhand is still the weakness comparatively for Perry. That said, you know, she gets better at it every time I watch her play, a little bit more comfortable driving through that ball more frequently. And Again, Stefanini moved her around the court, but didn't have the weapons to hurt her, and unfortunately Stefanini had to retire due to injury. But Perry again. Twenty-three and twenty-three overall in the year. Don't let that fool you. It's been a massive step forward for the former World Junior number one, who's now up to a new career high, number sixty-four in the live rankings. Guarantees you qualifying at all the big events and obviously she's going to get into the majors on that ranking as well. So let's look for a big leap from Perry through the first six months of next year. Four quarterfinals from July onwards and you don't have as, you know, and I guess you have French Open third round points to defend. So that's really where things start, those French Open third round points, but... First, four months is a playground for Diane Perry. I think she, if she doesn't get into the top 50, it would be more surprising in my opinion than if she does. That said... I've done a segment on Claire Lou in the past five days, I believe. So just worth noting, Claire Lou into the quarterfinals as well with a victory over Katerina Sinyakova, six three six two. Sinyakova just didn't have it today, um, and uh, in particular didn't seem to have it on serve, as uh, you know she was just broken repeatedly by Lou in this match. Lou ultimately eight breaks on eleven break point chances. Now you know Claire Lou was also broken five times herself today, but. It was just so aggressive from the baseline. It's so impressive to me and you now look for Claire Lou 28 and 21 overall on the year. she's into her fifth quarterfinal of the season third at the tour level. you want to know how you solidify yourself in the top 100 how you solidify yourself uh, just in the mix in all tour level events moving forward do that. You know, make three quarterfinals, make five total quarterfinals now by making a couple at the 125K level as well. And you look for Claire Lou, uh, currently sitting at a new career high, number 69 in the live rankings, is the 22 year old, has positioned herself very well uh, for next season. Also, uh, with that said, again, Lou Perry were probably the two biggest focus points for me in the. Uh, in Monastir today, my buddy Gil Gross was on the call for Mertens over Papa McHale. And by the way, it's pronounced Papa McHale, just so all of you listeners know. Uh, Mertens awful in the first set, just couldn't create anything and drops at five seven. But then steadied the ship, became more aggressive, started playing much more freely when down a set, and you know again cruises from there five seven six one six two. I mean, look. I had this discussion with someone at Tennis Channel HQ today who will remain nameless. Elisa Mertens is not old, right? Elisa Mertens is a name you would put in there with uh, the Sockery, with, you know, the Sockery, Kanteve, Krachikova. I just listed all those names. Mertens is another name who belonged on that list. Certainly, winning a couple of junior, a junior, excuse me, a couple of double slam titles put her in that conversation when she made semifinals, 2018 Australian Open, two U.S. Open quarterfinals, second weeks at all four majors. And of course, she had the what, 17 third rounds or better at the major streak going for her. And yet, if I ask you right now, Has Elisa Mertens peaked? You know, what's the next evolution for her? How does she take a jump to where, you know, you look for Mertens right now. She's currently sitting, uh, where is Elisa Mertens right now in the rankings? Let's see, Mertens currently sitting at 42 overall in the rankings. She's been as high as number 12. You know, how does she get back into that top 20? And then how does she maybe even progress past that moving forward as well? Or, you know, is this the Elise Mertens we're going to see moving forward, who has a really high floor match in, match out? Elisa Mertens can do a little bit of everything solid physically as well. And yet, you know, what's the elite skill for Elisa Mertens? I think... It's just as difficult to answer both questions. What's the biggest weapon? What's the biggest weakness? And we can have that conversation uh, on this podcast at some point. If you'd like it, you can tweet at me or DM me at Al Gruskin. always appreciate hearing uh, from all of you listeners. So as always, please just let me know if there's anything I can do for you. That said... Yeah, I mean, Mertens ultimately gets through. It is what it is. And, you know, you look for Elisa Mertens now here this season. There's a reason, you know, she has fallen outside the top 40. Mertens not qualifying for the two-thirds rule quite this season. She's currently 23-20 and overall on the year by reaching the quarterfinals here in Monastir. Just her third quarterfinal, first since Strasbourg in May. Yeah, it's been a tough stretch for Elisa Mertens this season. Had a fourth-round run at Roland Garros. Fourth-round run at Wimbledon, though, and fourth-round run as well at the Australian Open. So I'm starting to think that maybe I was incorrect, and maybe this has just been uh, a really, really really— good run for elisa mertens and maybe it's just kind of steadied at the non-tour level events um that said elisa mertens through to the quarterfinals third of the year here in Monastir. your only other winner on the day fairly straightforward all Cornet, corne just rock solid three and four win for her over harriet dart corne i believe fourth it's either fourth or fifth quarterfinal of the season it might be her fifth overall on the year but pretty straightforward when she was able to grind down dart who was able to generate uh, this okay and I say this lovingly. This was the JV version of the Radikanu Kasakina match from yesterday. And to anyone who watched that match, perhaps you'll understand that reference. Again, at Al Gruskin. If you do, if you don't, if you take offense to what I say, um, yeah. That in my opinion, this was just—it was the same script. Dart had the shots on her rack. It just wasn't quite able to execute throughout the course of the day. So, again, credit to Alizé Cornet into another quarterfinal. Right now, you look at the Monastir draw still. Jabir, 51.8% chance, according to Tennis Abstracts. Singles forecast to win the event. Matova 20.8. Big drop after that, all the way to Elisa Mertens at 8.3. That said, that is your WTA tour action from Wednesday. Let's move over now to the ATP side of things. Let's start in Astana. I mean, you look at the day's results. I think I can rapid fire through some of the headliners real quickly. Denis Shapovalov just did exactly what he was supposed to do. Lefty serve, slice spin, flat pace into the Stevie Johnson backhand, set up the first forehand, keep him on a rope, When in doubt, use your leftiness to just attack that Johnson backhand corner. The match was played on Shapovalov's terms and Credit to Stevie who responded in set number two and you know forces the breaker, no breaks of serve. I believe in that second set was so efficient with his own plus one game was so efficient in you know not only hitting the slice to the Shapovalov backhand but hitting that kick serve out wide and just creating lanes of space for himself against Shapovalov, forcing Shapovalov to have to hit that backhand on the run at times. Although it was a pretty good match uh, for Stevie J. I just think Dennis is pretty confident right now. And again, coming off of a final in Seoul to get any wins the following week, you know, again, with the travel schedule being as it is, although he did have, I suppose, what, today's Wednesday. So we had two days off. This was a match he should have won. And, you know, for the first time in a while... Shepovalov, Shepovalov, that's how you say that name, did what he was supposed to do. So shout out to Dennis. Uh, shout out to Taylor, to Taylor Fritz, who obviously had a COVID diagnosis last week and I believe threw, uh, threw in, flew in to uh, Tokyo either early on Wednesday or late Tuesday night. Uh, Fritz... Six-two, six-seven, six-one over the duck. James Duckworth, Fritz staying alive in that race to the year-end finals. Currently 10th place is Taylor Fritz. He cheerles Hoobie Hercats by 250 points. But hey, Paris still on the schedule. I imagine Fritz is coming home next week to play San Diego. And actually the flight from Tokyo to San Diego, I'm sure it's not great, but it's probably not horrible either. So uh, obviously, for Fritz to be back in Southern California. Not in San Diego. The women are in San Diego next week. Where are the, me- uh, where are the men? I don't know. You know what? That's something. You know who's going to worry about that? Future Alex. But still, you look for Taylor Fritz uh, currently, again, 250 points back of Hoopy Hurcats in that fight for one of the final spots at the year-end finals. We had two funky ones on the day. Let's start with Pedro Martinez was down six four three love to Jaume Munar. I did a whole rant on Munar and how he's made not a big no no not a capital B breakout star, but again another guy who's made a a mini leap here over the course of the twenty twenty two season. And six four three love looked like he was cruising to the finish line against fellow Spaniard, fellow twenty five year old Pedro Martinez. And yet, man, Martinez got aggressive. I actually really liked how he used his size, his strength, his speed to move forward. He hit such a heavy forehand, and to be honest, his ball was more dynamic than Munar's. It ripped through the court a little bit more successfully. He started swinging through his backhand more than I had seen him in quite a bit of time, and Martinez still under 500 for the year, but to win 12 of the last 13 games, I know Munar was really struggling physically by the end of that match, but... Color me as one, impressed by the level of 25 year old Pedro Martinez, who, again, despite being under 500 overall on the year, Martinez uh, still currently sitting at a pretty respectable spot in the ATP rankings. You look for Martinez, currently number 67, uh, with his win here today. And, you know, for Martinez now to have the opportunity uh, to compete in the Tokyo round of 16, get some serious 500 points under his resume. Big moment uh, for the 25 year old Spaniard the other funky one today and i say well funky i say to describe it was yoshihito nishioka against miamir Kesmenovic, and you could just tell nishioka you know 626 six all the Breaker to decide that second set, he just ran out of gas in set number three. And of course, he did just win a title in Seoul last week. That post-title hangover happens to the best of us. And if you're Nishioka, it wasn't even a hangover. It was a three-set loss against a fellow grinder in Miamir Kecmanovic, who did just a great job displaying patience throughout the course of this match. Also, 12 aces on the day for Kecmanovic. Not too shabby of a serving performance. Uh, shout out to Miamir. Three-set victory. Much needed to just get things back on course after he was one of the breakout stars, capital B, of the first third of the season. Then shout out to Sunwoo Kwon, who somehow has fallen outside the top 100. Kwon back up to number 103 by reaching the quarterfinals here in Tokyo. But very impressive three-set win over Mackie McDonald. Kwon's so good. I mean, if, if tennis was groundstroke games and the serve wasn't a part of things, he'd be a top 20. Hmm. Too much. He'd be in the top 50, though. Uh, just so solid off both wings, drives the ball so well. When he leans into his backhand, you can just viscerally feel the depth that he's creating. And then he has a little bit more time to create on the forehand. That's the stroke. A little bit flatter, a little bit bigger. More errors can come off that side, but boy, does he get after that forehand when he has time to do so. So again, credit uh, to Quan Sun Wu on what was, in my opinion, a very, very impressive performance. Um, With that said, that is your action in Tokyo. And of course, I said I was going to start in Astana, which is freaking hilarious and shows you where my brain is. Westoff, leave all of that in. That was awful planning by me i mean not an awful segment but i can't believe i said i was going to start in astana and then we ultimately end up in tokyo shout out to this brain right now with that said i will wrap this show pretty soon so that i can go rest up and get back after everything tomorrow let's move now to the atp event in the aforementioned astana start with novak Djokovic. he's just on the warpath i mean he was off the court 6-1-6-1 today over christian Green in an hour and 2 minutes. How many I mean the the number is going to be bigger than I think. But it was just like sorry Christian you're just you're just not winning today. Like today is Novak's day. Christian Green couldn't do anything to hurt Novak with even when the rallies went 10, 15, 20 shots. It took Green that much effort, you know, to even Create any sort of opportunity against Novak, and yet Novak was just moving so well. He's so fit right now, striking the ball so cleanly, so focused. He's just reminding everyone why he's probably still the guy heading into 2023. It just depends again how many events will Novak Djokovic be allowed to play. That said, match of the day unequivocally: Stefano Tsitsipas 7-6, 7-6 over Luca Nardi. I happen to be on the call for that match. Look. The 19-year-old Italian is coming. Did not face a break point today. 12 service games up, 12 service games down. Was struck the plus one ball so brilliantly. And yeah, I don't love his forehand backswing. And certainly the slower courts in Astana help Nardi have a little bit more time on that wing. But... Oh, my God, did he connect with that first forehand brilliantly throughout the course of today the day, and just his ability to absorb and generate pace on that backhand wing. It's not in the Zverev, Korda, obviously Novak tier of players, but, boy, is he rock solid on that side. A comfortable and willing volleyer who could hit all the spots on the serve, not only, you know, kick serve after kick serve into the Pass backhand, but mixing in the slices out wide, mixing in the pace down the tee. Look, CZ Boss started getting frustrated with himself. He should have had more breakpoint chances than he did. He just left a lot of service returns on the table. Felt like he went a little bit too big at times or early on was probably just a little bit too passive with his backhand return. That said... Whenever Pass needed it, he found big first serves, big first forehands. And it was so impressive. First set breaker, Pass goes up in immediate mini break 2-1. Doesn't miss a first serve the entirety of the breaker. Doesn't drop a point on serve and just holds on to that mini break. Continues to take aggressive swings as a returner. Takes a 7-2 breaker and then gets an early mini break once again in that second breaker. And yet seeds it back Two, uh, right back to Nardi with a plus one error. That said, Pass able to bounce back. Um, I thought found outstanding depth. But, you know, I thought Nardi's lowest level of play came in the breaker. And he talked about at the end of the match how he's starting to feel some pain in his hamstring. But two plus one errors from Nardi, or not plus one errors, but two aggressive errors from Nardi offered, you know, Pass two mini breaks. And then Pass connects on a couple of brilliant forehands down the home stretch of that match. Just the weight CT PAS is able to get behind that forehand. You forget CT PAS' second most wins on the ATP Tour this season, trails only Carlos Alcaraz. Uh, on on the board right now and, you know, has clinched his spot already in the ATP Tour Finals, a testament to the progress of the 24-year-old Tsitsipas. Did not return well, and perhaps big picture, those concerns continue to persist for Tsitsipas, particularly against elite competition. But actually, the big takeaway is Nardi, who's up to number 130 now in the live rankings, has won a couple of challenger titles this season, Nardi's coming, folks. This is not the last time we will be discussing him here on this show moving forward. That said, you know, those were your top 10 players in action on the day. You also had, I believe, Marin Chilich, a three-set winner over Oscar Ota. Thought that match might get tricky, and indeed it did. Emil Rusavori cruising 6-love, 6-2 over last week's winner, Marc-Andre Hussler in Sofia, Dare we say, a little championship hangover Therefore, for Hoosler. You also had comfortable wins for Rublev, Bautista, Agut. And then Adrian Manorino ends the run of David Goffin. Three-set victory for the Frenchman, who just quietly is hovering inside that top 15. Manorino, 34 years old, still number 44 in the rankings. Guess what? That means you get to set your schedule moving forward. And as a veteran at that point of his career, uh, that's really all you can ask for if you are Adrian Manorino, to get to play all the big events and really get to play whatever events it is that you would like. Nice win for Manorino into the quarterfinals here. In Kazakhstan, uh, you look at the percentages still. Djokovic, 22.4%. Medvedev, 16.7%. On the top half, it's Rublev, 19.7%. Tsitsipas, 17.4%. But again, Chilich versus Hachinov is a matchup tomorrow. Botic versus Djokovic. Rusevori, Medvedev. A lot of good tennis as we move forward through the draw in Astana. I'd probably go Ostrava 1, Astana 2. Honestly, Tokyo and Monastir tied for third. I think both of those draws equally entertaining for different reasons. But it's going to be a fun week of action. And we'll continue to cover it all here on the mini-break as we move forward through everything, of course, If you want to hear previews of each and every day's play, again, head on over to the Great Shot podcast feed, which you can find wherever you listen to your podcast. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the f*** of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. A shout out, as well, to our friends at Tennis Point. Remember, go to tennis-point.com. Use our promo code CR15 for all of your equipment needs. With that said, for... Our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point. From all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Don't forget to check out our Cracked Rackets broadcast of the ITA All-American College Championships. That's from today through Sunday on our Cracked Rackets YouTube feed. With that said, you know what we say. That's the break, and we'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.